I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. What are we doing here? Like a subtitle or something? Seems like more trouble than it's worth. Peter. Hey, Aaron. How you doing? I'm feeling pretty metatextual. How about you? I'm feeling so metatextual. Why would Peter say that to me? Sort of a weird thing for him to say, don't you think? If you're listening right now, do you think of what Peter just said is weird? I don't know. I guess we'll figure it out when we get to the other segments. <laughs> so, what if we did the whole fucking episode like that? People would shoot us in the brain. That was something we were talking about, how Shane Black is the only person that could have made this movie. This movie would be complete garbage if, like, anybody but him made it. It walks right up to that line. It's like, it, it really is a tightrope. And it's like, oh, he's gonna fall, he's gonna fall. Oh, he balanced himself out, okay. He yeah. somehow made this terrible line. But this movie, BS, the movie is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's the second week of a very Shane Black Christmas. Um, and he, he really, really, really writes these lines that they, they feel like cringy. This is my first script and I'm a college student, like attempts to be clever. And I think somehow the combination of Robert Downey Jr. and the fact that he knows like the right particular word to, to not make it go off that cliff somehow makes the majority of this movie work. But, uh, it's a very Quentin Tarantino thing where, um, and the reason Quentin Tarantino is his movies are typically so good is because he pairs them with these actors that know how to make his lines sound good. Oh yeah, like that one guy um, who's in all of his movies, Quentin Tarantino. Like <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, yeah, uh, that guy. Aust- Have you seen Django? <laughs> <laughs> the Australian actor Quentin. Tarantino. Oh yeah, he is. He is great. Uh, his hairline looks fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, he doesn't look like he's being slowly turning into Robert De Niro's Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> How great would it be, though, if he just showed up in his Manson movie as Manson? I mean, I'm assuming that's where it's going. Yeah. You're um, putting a lot of stock in that movie getting made. You gotta you gotta really hedge your bets when Quentin Tarantino says he's doing a movie next. <laughs> <laughs> Well, nowadays, like, he says he's not going to do a movie, and then he made uh, Hateful Eight. I take Quentin Tarantino's I'm going to I'm gonna direct a movie about as seriously as when I make plans with people when I'm drunk. Like, <laughs> like oh. maybe I'll call you tomorrow saying, hey, I got those tickets to the concert we talked about. Maybe I'll be like, oh, I forgot I hate that band and I dislike you. <laughs> I actually hate the band – Less than you, so I'm going to go without you. Uh, yeah, I, no, I bought tickets. It was the <laughs> – I have done the drunk thing before where I've had limited tickets to an event and then, like, been out with a bunch of friends and invited more people than I had tickets to the event. <laughs> You're like, sober me, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I won't go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's always tickets. You just grab tickets. It's all going to work out. Nothing to worry about. And then, like, you get handed a ticket by a scalper that's, like, written in crayon, and you're like, this is gonna work. This is good. True story. I have done the, like, go to StubHub and been like, oh, thank God, they're cheap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and their general admission, it's not gonna be awkward. Like, well, yeah, I said you could come, but yeah, you're sitting in the mezzanine. Yeah. You're ZZ. Yeah. So I didn't say together. I said I could get you a ticket, which I did. 
that you paid me money for to this concert. I don't know why you were confused, but I think it's clear where the problem lies. Well, I mean, in, in a general sense, we're sitting next to each other compared to the size of the universe. Did you see the concert with me? Yes or no? Go quick. <laughs> and then you do the thing where you're like uh, I don't like to talk at concerts anyway so it doesn't really matter that we're standing next to each other yeah that's what that's the point of going to a concert uh, you know uh, I, I get the view from the balcony you get the view from the floor and then we just trade anecdotes kind of sh- <laughs> that way it's the only way to get the have you heard of the U2 360 tour I like to do oh. that for every concert where i get the whole i mean 180 to be honest yeah the whole 180 get the whole 180 view of all the shows i'm, I'm it's attending. not really a 180 it's more like 150 because there's always a dude in front of you who is like enormously tall it's you know i'm we're both relatively tall people peter i think we're I, like i think you're a couple inches taller than me i'm uh like six six one okay i'm yeah i'm six so we're we're similar yeah, well, I finally found out. So my wife hated concerts forever. And I finally kind of figured out why. And she's like, well, you know, it's something I didn't think about because I guess I'm an asshole. I'm, I'm a heightist. But she's 5'2". So, like, she hates being on the floor for concerts because yeah. everyone's taller than her. Have you considered getting her a pogo stick? <sighs> I mean, considered it? Yeah. and i decided it was a terrible idea like you know what our budget's pretty locked down (laughs) i'm on a fixed income it doesn't allow your pogo frolics oh my god those pogo collar telemarketers they never listen when you tell them that you're on a fixed income (laughs) like okay sir sir what if I do this? You know how important it is to jump up in the air on a stick with a spring <laughs> in it. So why don't we do this? We'll put you down for one pogo stick, $35. Or would you like our non-deluxe edition for $25? <laughs> it's called a closed ask. <laughs> Where they don't ask wow. you yes or no, they just give you two price options. Well, here's what we got for you. Um, I could fuck you, or I could really fuck you. You choose. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's up to you. It's all, up to you. All the the all telemarketers, they're uh, the basic like underlying message that they're delivering is: you want to do this the easy way or the hard way? <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. I'm gonna be good cop and bad cop, <laughs> sir. Sir, yeah, it's like it's like the political telemarketing that you get, where it's where it's all like, oh. Okay, so I know that you agree that you don't want babies taken from your home and murdered by the other political party. So, right? We all agree with that, right? <laughs> We're on the same page. Can I put We're you down for page. 50 or 75? <laughs> Our candidate is running strictly on a platform of not having the Cossacks come to your home and drag your babies out in the street. So he's a Democrat because the Republicans are for that, I think, right now. Yeah, the world's depressing. Movies are fun. Speaking of which, Peter, so this, uh, this is a transition. You know, that's a really nice thing for you to say about movies on our movie podcast. I really yeah, appreciate Yeah, to be clear, in case anything I said could be misinterpreted, movies are the best all time. Never do anything else except watch movies, preferably ones that we're covering on this show, and then listening to this. The, the original title of this podcast was Movies, 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 right? Movies, movies, watch, watch. So, 
That's a great transition. This movie's called Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Uh, obviously a reference to um, the song White Christmas by Irving Berlin. Uh, the unused unused uh, theme song from a little movie called It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I don't think this is true. I mean, the bones are all correct. It's just every detail is incorrect, Peter. <laughs> oh, got it. That's I'm going to start using that anytime I'm wrong. Yeah, well, the bones of a, the bones of the truth are there. You know. Yeah, it's the skeleton. It's the whole structure is correct. It's just every important specific detail is inaccurate. <laughs> And I expected you to be able to to get the gist. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is actually uh, a reference to James Bond in Europe when they would translate James Bond titles. The both James Bond the character and his movies, and also the um, the general genre of spy thriller would sort of be called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It became a uh, the sort of like euphemism for you know spy and intrigue type movies. Uh, everything I did say was true. Again, all the details were wrong. Okay. I mean, but yeah, uh, but it's not really important. We'll let history be the judge, I guess. <laughs> now, really super important in the movie. Uh, eagle-eyed listeners may note, um, that history already has been the judge, because this happened in the past. <laughs> but, you know, we're not going to seek out the literature. <laughs> I also like that they're eagle-eyed listeners. I said eagle-eared. Did oh, I? Okay. I either said eagle-eared or I said to myself in my head over and over again, don't say eagle-eyed, don't say eagle-eyed, <laughs> don't say eagle-eyed, and then said eagle-eyed. And then you said Shia LaBeouf vehicle. The title to this movie, um, it's great. I love it. I mean, there's kisses, there's bang-bangs. It works. But it's a little vague, even if I really like the structure. It could describe almost every movie. Well, as a matter of fact, I wish more movies had this sort of structure in its title. So much so, Peter. It's the return of games. The return of games? Well, I mean, to be fair, uh, based on me listening to the Night of Living Dead episode, there was a game there. I was just not invited or present. Well, you could say you're not invited in the same sense that I didn't invite my dead grandpa because you were dead. Would you say that I was the uninvited? Yeah, you were the uninvited. Uh, so is that, just to clarify, by that same standard, your dead grandmother has also never been invited to any of our episodes? I don't know if you met my grandmother, but uh, she had narcissistic personality disorder, so no, she's not invited. <laughs> dead or alive, you're not coming with no, me. No, <laughs> I actively avoided her after I got into my teen years. She was a monstrous person. So I no. had a monstrous grandmother, too. Aww. Have we not talked about this? I don't know. It's why I, I unfortunately know so much about narcissistic personality disorder, because I had to live it. <laughs> <laughs> the dead one was supposed to be amazing. I heard nothing but amazing things about her. The living one, I know wasn't amazing. So we got I got both sides, you know? I have a terrible grandma and then one that's not great, but looks really good in comparison. Both dead. She's like, uh, in, you know, in a free market would be a C minus, but in this specific instance where... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a I grandma's mean, it's, market. You know what it is? It's like the election, right? Yeah. Neither of them wanted to do everything that I wanted, but one is just a clear runaway winner when one of those two are going to get the job. Do you want to go away for like, I don't know, mm -hmm. three months, get voice coaches and come back as Australians? 
I mean, based on how good our impressions are, I think it's going to take maybe a week. <laughs> We're almost there. Like, good day, mate. <laughs> good day, mate. How you doing? Oh, oh, need your chimney swept. That's <laughs> <laughs> sort of a pan-Anglo accent you're doing there. <laughs> oh, oh what, what are you talking about, Mary Poppins? <laughs> <laughs> Mary Poppins, the famous Australian movie. Well, no, you were Mary Poppins in this. Good night, mate. Oh, you're I'm just an Australian chimney sweep. <laughs> I'm an Australian chimney sweep. You're specifically the guy from Wolf Creek. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, <laughs> as a listener, you probably lost the thread, and that's fine. It's an Aaron and Pete episode. Uh, the thread wasn't there. There is no thread. Uh, so, I wish there was more titles with the same cadence as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So, what I've done, Peter, is thank I've you. taken... Were you, like, saying things in the background? I just said thank you to you. Oh, oh okay. Great. For being uh, such a good co-host. Oh, I thought it was co-host. 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 All right, please, please, just tell me about your game okay. that's riffing off of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, so I wish more movies were titled like that. So what I've done, Peter, is I've taken well-known movies and gave them a new title in the same cadence as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And what you have to do, Peter, you have to guess what movie my new title is referring to. Okay, let's do it. All right, couple, we'll start out a little easy. It might get a little more difficult. And then maybe get easy because I didn't do the thing where I ordered these for perfect comedy timing. <laughs> okay. Maybe get good at the end. Um, Wait, so when your voice goes up really high. And then maybe. <laughs> oh my God, a new character. I'm so excited. Um, these, these Pete and Aaron episodes are really workshops for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But maybe you'll like it, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Peter, the first one. Shark, shark, bite, bite. Do I get two guesses or one? (laughs) Just one. Okay. Jaws? Correct. One point. I was going to say Deep Blue Sea next because I just rewatched Deep Blue Sea and it is... Chef fingers. Well, this thing about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like you said, could apply to a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah. At most movies. <laughs> but, but but to be clear, there's only one answer for my question, so. This sounds very difficult. Yeah. Please continue. All right. Hiss Hiss Teen Teens. Hiss Hiss Teen Teens? Yeah. Twilight? Mean Girls. Mean Girls? <laughs> I thought it was like a vampire hiss. Like a... Yeah, that would have been a good guess. I might have said, I might have thrown bats in. Okay, okay. I would have been flat. like teen teen bat bats. Yeah, yeah. Flat, flat teen teens. Oh. All right. Pass, pass, drive, drive. <laughs> God. Uh, probably not Brian's song. Um, <laughs> the Replacements? I don't know. What's the most famous football movie? Oh, past, past, drive, drive. Oh, oh, I think you meant pass, pass, drive. <laughs> I mean, drive. you were right. It probably wasn't Brian's song. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess drive. I'm going to guess Brian's song again. <laughs> the great answer was back to the future. Back to the future. That's good. Okay. Uh, day, day, bye, bye. Uh, day, day, bye, bye. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Okay. Day day bye bye. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, the, it's the remains of the day. <laughs> remains of the day. Okay. Okay. You wait bye bye to what you remains. Wait, bye bye. You can't. You can't say bye bye when the day's gone. It's not going to hear you. It's true. It's true. I was thinking that could also be twilight because that's like that's these. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you, Peter. These could all be twilight. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Fast, fast, furious, furious. <laughs> I'm going to guess The Fast and the Furious. Uh, gone in 60 seconds. Oh, okay. Uh, drugs, drugs, bad, bad. Drugs, drugs, bad, bad. I'm going to go with um, Requiem for a Dream. That's correct. You're at two points. All right. I'll take it. What do I need to win? I don't know. <laughs> I could have kept going. I only stopped here because uh, eventually I had to put my daughter to, to sleep. Uh, oh, not permanently, cool. just a bad like. A nighttime thing. Uh, sled, yeah, sled, cry, cry. To say that. Yeah. <laughs> sled, said cry, cry. Yeah. Do you remember in uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, when that guy chops that dude's head off when he's sledding? Uh, I mean, I remember it now that you've reminded me of it. Yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Oh man, he he makes a real sled, sled, cry, cry. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, that's what the whole movie's about. Yeah. All right. Uh, dance, dance, dick, dick. <laughs> Dance, dance, dick, dick, uh, magic mic? Correct. <laughs> okay. Uh, dick, 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 dick. <laughs> Bookie Nights? Uh, it's the movie Dick. Oh, God. Starring, the movie starring hippies Kirsten Dunst Nixon? and Michelle Williams? Yeah. Yeah. 1999. <laughs> um, kill, kill, elf, elf? Kill, kill, elf, elf? Yeah. Shrek? The Santa Claus? Because <laughs> Santa's the king of the elves, and, and they mm-hmm. they kill him. The movie begins with a man coming home on Christmas Eve uh, to, <laughs> to, to murder a man on his roof. Oh, I, was, I thought you were going to uh, hypothesize um, an unused prologue where, like, the first, like, Santa Claus that dies in that movie, like, it's just, like, his family coming home and being like... Sit down for this. I know it's Christmas. <laughs> I we all knew. We all knew this date could come. No, what I want is uh, for them to go to the original, uh, whatever the original Santa's family, uh, and just dump the corpse on the lawn. And then an elf is like, "Sorry, Santa, it's the first rule of becoming Santa." <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want too, Peter. Yeah, yeah uh, those would be real elves with attitude. <laughs> what are the What are the fake ones? <laughs> there's there's characters in the movie the Santa Claus. Do you know the movie the Santa Claus? Yeah, I've seen I've seen the Santa Claus. <laughs> the it's Santa a pun. Claus. Yeah, it's the Santa Claus. Um, it's the pun. It's the the pun. So you know, in that film, uh, there's a group of elves that are like uh, like a SWAT team of elves or Navy SEAL of elves. Yeah, they they have, they have flying packs. Yeah, they they're elves with attitude, and they say. Did they like tinsel? Very strong or something. But I thought I thought it had like a code name. I thought it was like I thought it was like E L F S. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not elves with attitude. That'd no, be the that'd be Uwa. Catchfra- <laughs> the kid's catchphrase <laughs> or whatever. He goes up to him and he's like trying to explain why they're badass elves or something. He's like, We're elves with attitude. Well, since I watch the Santa Claus every year, I guess we're gonna have to find out very shortly. Uh expect a late night text. <laughs> I mean, the text could be, I was wrong, but expect it. <laughs> uh, 
All right. A couple no more. Christmas this year. Ho, ho, ho. Home improvement. Your your Santa voice sounds like the noise when you get a game over screen on Zelda 2. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. ho, The return of Ganon. <laughs> it needs some work. You got. Look, we're recording this. It's 1130. You got 30, I was going to say 31 days. You got 25 days. You have a week less than I originally anticipated. Why are you taking time away from me? I need those 31 days. Look, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I didn't pick the date. Oh, uh, folks, it is the Christmas season. Uh, okay, a couple more. Uh, suit, suit, dance, dance. Suit, suit, dance, dance. They dance in suit. No, no. Uh, it's got to be um, Footloose. Uh, stop making sense. God damn it. It's a big suit. It's a huge suit. It's a huge suit. Girl, girl, gone, gone. <laughs> gone, girl. It's uh, the messenger, the story of Joan of Arc. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> is that the is that the, the uh, Luke uh, Besson Mila, movie? Mila Jovovich yep. movie? Yep. Uh, night, night, fog, fog. <laughs> night and fog. That's correct. Uh, my attempt to do a Schindler's List one was not working. Uh, <laughs> um, so thank you for not sharing it with any of us. No, I'm not going to share the drafts. Um, yeah. All of it made me feel really bad, uh, and I decided to pivot and uh, and and not do it at all. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, two more. You're really an ally to the Jewish people for not <laughs> telling me the awful things you wrote down in that piece of paper. Look, I didn't say I wrote down all... It's only two words. It's just all of them made me feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't make me feel bad like I had done something wrong. <laughs> to be clear, I am not the villain of Schindler's List. <laughs> um, dog, dog, boom, boom. Dog, dog, boom, boom. The dog's a boom town. Uh, that would be John Wick. John Wick. Wow, that's that's dark. And then boom, boom, dog, dog. Boom, boom, dog, dog. John Wick. It's Old Yeller. Old Yeller. <laughs> <laughs> See, in, in the first respect, it's first... amazing that I got any of these right. You got three. I mean, Night Night Fog Fog was pretty. That's a gimme. Yeah. <laughs> Although you probably would have got my Schindler's List ones too, but yeah. it would have made well, you feel bad too. Just because I'm also trash. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think looking over this list again, those were 15 or so. I think they're all better than what they were actually titled. I think they're all stark improvements. Um, I think that uh, the nice thing about them is that you just think of them and it just like conjures such an image in your head. Uh, there's no question about how those two repeated nouns, uh, you know, correlate with one another. I think it, I think it would be great for people organizing stuff at video stores. Mm-hmm. I can't wait till we do a similar game when we finally do uh, Bob and Ted and Carol and Alice. Spock <laughs> <laughs> and Sulu and Kirk and Khan. What? What do you? Yeah. What do you think it is, Peter? Uh, thank you so much for bringing that game on, Aaron, onto your own show. That's sure, so great whatever. for you to do pre-prep. pre-prep. I'm glad it's back to being my show and not one I share with Marcus <laughs> Jones. Man, we would have just skipped the episode if I knew you were going to be so bitter about it. We had to move on. You were dead. Canonically. Look, Peter, calm down. I'm calm? Are you calm? I'm calm! 
<laughs> Uncle! I'm just saying, your, your voice has, has hit Jerry Seinfeld levels of, of, of tone. Doesn't sound like you're calm. Quit grilling me. Peter, I need you to sit down. I know you record most of the podcast standing up. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to that. Okay. This doesn't feel right, like at all. Peter, so the thing now, are you sitting down? I'm sitting down. This is not right. Okay. Come, come close to the mic. Okay, hey, what's up? Move farther away from the mic. <laughs> I'm not going to hear you any better if I move closer to the mic. <laughs> push, push your earbuds in a little further. Really do some, really do some damage. Ah, uh, Peter. Yeah. The thing with Marcus. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bit. Oh, it's a bit. Oh, it's a bit. It's it's a bit of a bit. It's like the worst worst serial name from the nineties ever. <laughs> oh, kids, come over. We're having oh, it's a bit <laughs> with marshmallows. <laughs> oh wait, is their mascot Drillbit Taylor? Uh he's he's the mascot for for everything. He's got hair like Jesus. That's true. Um, and he'll defend your unsightly children from bullies. Yeah, rapid fire. Don't think about this, Peter. Just answer what it feels. I never do. Feels like to you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Whatever comes to your mind, quick. Do you think if the name of uh, the Christian Savior in the Bible was Drillbit Taylor instead of Jesus Christ, that religion would still be around today? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I would still be a Christian if I were worshiping. Uh, if I whatever, I'd still be a Drillbitian. The only problem with that is in that alternate universe, I like to think the movie Drillbit Taylor still exists and people go to it expecting the story of their Lord and Savior and get a story of Owen Wilson being a gymnast or something. I don't know. I've never seen it. Um, And just being like, this is the worst telling of the story of Drillbit Taylor I've ever seen. And they're like, no, we came to this name independently. <laughs> Can we actually uh, make a movie and get it funded? Uh, it's called Jesus Christ, this true story of Jesus. And it's just like about like a dude who goes to high school and beats up children. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think that'd be funny. Like, no, it's a different guy named that. <laughs> Total coincidence, don't even Oh, I, I see I see what you, why you're confused. It's because you there's a Jesus Christ in the Bible, too. Oh, no. Do you know about parallel thought? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, we filed the copyrights this morning. I'm pretty sure we own the rights to Jesus. Yeah, I'm pretty... I mean, you look in that fucking patent office, and I can guarantee you there's no patent on the name Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, listen here, Pope. I can guarantee you that I own the name Jesus Christ. Yeah, I guarantee you don't. <laughs> you try and publish a fucking Bible with the name Jesus Christ in it. Hey, Pope. Sue you so fast, you're gonna have... You're gonna be wearing a small hat tomorrow. Hey, Pope. I'm gonna make you eat your fucking hat. <laughs> Bye, Pope. Bye, Pope. <laughs> A lot of Pope talk over here. The new Pope has really, or the young Pope has really, like, revitalized Pope chat, I think. I think also, like, it's still a shitty pope because he believes, like, terrible things about a lot of different people. But, like, it's a better – again, it's the grandma conundrum. Like, mm. this pope way better than the Nazi one we just had. 
Oh so my God, yeah. this pope like is a reasonable human. It's like whoever's president after Trump is going to be enshrined in fucking Mount Rushmore because everyone's going to be like, this is the best. I can go to sleep at night. Checking social media doesn't give me panic attacks. And he comes out and he's like, I think we should discontinue, like his name's like Jeff or something. He comes out on a podium. He's like, I think we should discontinue the practice uh, that was started under my predecessor of releasing bears into unemployment offices. I mean, the next the next president could go on TV and kill a puppy with a gun, and everyone would be like, "Okay, sure," but he's not taking health care away from everyone. <laughs> like, it's not great, but it's better. Do you remember? I mean, just think about it. Think about it. Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize immediately just for not being George W. Bush. What the fuck is the next guy after Trump gonna get? <laughs> So, do you want to talk about the real, the real kiss, kiss, bang, bang, kiss, kiss, bang, bang? You guys want to talk about the real kiss, kiss, bang, bang? You want, this is the real motherfucking deal, yo. (laughs) Do you know what that's from? Yeah, no. Um, Stains the outside? Stains the outside? I don't even know. I don't know how to explain this. Just play it or something. Can you uh, explain the 90s to me? It was 2000. So there's a band, Stain. They sang a song, I'm on the outside. I'm looking in. And it was Stain featuring Fred Durst. Uh And Fred Durst, it's like a live recording. All he does is at one point in the middle of the song. uh, And in the music video, he's just sitting on the stage doing his Fred Durst head bop. And he says, this is the real motherfucking deal, y'all. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the best thing in the world. It's the best featuring of all time. He's like, he's like he's literally sitting on the stage. He's sitting on the concert stage while the guy from Stain plays the song on guitar and he got a featuring credit. <sighs> I, I like that he's like a hype man that showed up four minutes late. <laughs> yeah, he's a hype man who learned one line. I've got all my other lines. <laughs> and the whole audience is like, it's not really the deal. We're stained fans, and yeah. we're disappointed. In this. Actually, this isn't the real motherfucking deal, y'all, because I've heard the full band version, and this is just <laughs> the acoustic. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Let's talk about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> bang Bang. Me. Um, yeah, Aaron, you want to talk about this case, Tammy? Alternate taglines. Alternate taglines. What if feminism, but too much? (laughs) What if woke, but from 2005? (laughs) It is like, what if gay guy do thing? Straight guy also do. You know, I... It's funny because I actually think that the misogyny is worse than the gay panic in this movie. I think the gay panic is actually like ninety five percent of the way there. I yep. think I think the um 
the the misogyny is like just straight up misguided like it's coming from the wrong direction the gay panic stuff gets me a little because it is a little bit too much sometimes like shane black getting to make all the homophobic jokes he wants but because it's a it's coming out of a character who's gay yes it's some, it's some real kind of fucked up logic like i can't say this joke anymore because people would be like oh this is a homophobic movie what if i have a gay person say it but like it's still a straight writer writing homophobic jokes that's coming out of a straight actor's mouth so we, we can get into it the misogyny in this movie is way I was I was I had forgotten like at the time I think that it just like it felt like he was weirdly standing up for women and giving women like a chance to actually take a part of the movie yeah but now it does not stand up well at all and I'm sure plenty of don't get me wrong I'm sure plenty of people called it out back then is also not working especially like everything that's been um, not going on I don't want to say going on because it's been going on for a very long time but everything that's um, out there now uh, in the media with people kind of coming forward about what they've gone through watching Robert Downey Jr. a, a male character uh, explain to a woman why she should care about sexual assault is comes off a little bit tittier and i'm not gonna lie to you he also does some slut shamey stuff oh yeah and well it's all it's all that though it's like you're a slut and i care about you and i want you to be better but you know stop being so slutty stop letting people assault you you should care about stuff like assault so, like it's it's yes. it's rampant it's and that paired with the buddy cop stuff which is him buddy cop stuff is two people making fun of each other off of whatever they can pair uh harry says don't quit your gay job to Perry at one point. Yeah. Like he says like all these like knocks on Perry that are clearly supposed to be jokes that the misogyny compared teamed up with the homophobia in a sort of awful buddy cop movie. Yeah. Um, they are both coming out of Robert Downey Jr. Harry, who is uh, Shane Black's mouthpiece. So it's not just the fact that these things are being said. Homophobia is... Something that like you know will like occur in reality and occur in movies. Whether or not it's it's deployed correctly is important, um, and I think it's deployed in this movie almost with the sign off and the endorsement of the writer, which is why it's troubling. A hundred, a hundred percent. This is the um, misogyny and gay panic equivalent of like someone going, "Well, I can say black jokes. I have black friends." Like this is like, "Well, I can say all these things because I love this girl in this movie and." And uh, my, I, I respect my gay private investigator, and he's giving it right back to me. It's, the power dynamics don't work. And as a result, there are huge components of this movie that have aged terribly. Like, this was one of my favorite movies when I saw it in 2005. It felt like a breath of fresh air. We'll get into it in a sec. I don't want to not do the 90-second recap, but my guess is, A, you've seen it, and B, as indicated by our Iron Man 3 episode, Shane Black movies are very hard to really go through the stuff. So they're really broad strokes. I think 90 Second Recap makes sense for the vast majority of our episodes because a lot of times we cover movies that people haven't seen. And it's weird sometimes to just get into a movie without ever explaining the plot. We've we've consciously made the decision to not go through the movie in plot because that's just not how – we want to talk. So the 90 second recap was kind of our way to still get the broad strokes out there. But Shane Black movies are so convoluted and there's so much stuff going on. And it's part of the fun. It's like it's part of the uh, fun that, that every plot twist is uh, a sort of fun 
new discovery as opposed to you feel like the movie is jerking you around just for cheap shocks. Yeah, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the 90 second recap. What I, I will I do is just say purely because I had to for Iron Man three and I sounded like a dumbass. So you, I mean, I could not make you do it next week. What? What? I'm just gonna do. I'm still gonna give some information, Peter. I could do Lethal Weapon like crazy. First, there's two guys. They don't get along. Did you know that uh, Lethal Weapon in that movie doesn't refer to the fact that they have guns, but that Mel Gibson himself is a lethal weapon? weapon. Yes. Yes. A little fact. uh, A little little trivia. uh, They kept hidden in the tagline. Did you know that the popular spoof Loaded Weapon was uh, referring to both Lethal Weapon and to a man ready to ejaculate? Did you know... They never made a sequel to Loaded Weapon 1, even though the title implied heavily there would be one. Wild stuff. That's some wild, wild stuff. That is wild, wild stuff. So give me a 90-second recap. So it's just, it's just basically here's here's kind of what's happening in this movie. You have Robert Downey Jr. He is a thief who got uh, picked up to be an actor uh, because he uh, hid in a casting call. And uh, because his partner was just shot, gave an amazing, uh, not performance, but actually just saying uh, a bunch of stuff that was true in the moment because of serendipity and also Shane Black. Uh, So he then goes to Hollywood. Uh, During this process, he kind of uh, gets teamed up with a a private investigator, uh, if unaffectionately known as Gay Perry, um, played by Val Kilmer. Uh, who is going to teach him the ropes of uh, the the role he's trying out for. They witness an actual murder during this process, and there's a lot of give and take, giving each other the old business. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, there's an actress who's also um, an aspiring actress, uh, kind of a failed actress, uh, played by Michelle Monaghan, who... uh, who Robert Downey Jr. knows from his, from Iowa. And basically, they go through and uncover a very convoluted, complicated Shane Black plot uh, that that uh, the person who was murdered was murdered in front of them, trying to frame them. So it's a lot of normal. They're trying to figure out who actually did the murders and how they can prove their own innocence in the process. And guess what? They do all of that. He gets the girl. Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. end up starting a detective agency. The end. Yeah. Uh, Harry gets the girl and Gay Perry gets the beard. Gets a, Yeah, he must have been shooting another movie. I think oh he was God. shooting Felon. Have you ever seen Felon? It came out the next year. Nope. It's actually pr- for like a movie that was straight to video. Uh, actually, maybe, maybe Felon was 2008. But if uh, Felon is Val Kilmer and Steven Dorff. And we rented – I remember renting it on a, like a – well, I don't know. I got one more movie in this five for five for five deal. It's pretty good. You oh, is it, it good? Because that's actually something I want to talk about right away is Val Kilmer in this movie. He's good. He's tremendous. I yeah. think it's maybe his best performance of his career and it's partially because he gets to lean into his douchiness. Uh, we talked about this in our uh, our sort of double episode on Island of Dr. Moreau, Dash Island of Lost Souls, the documentary about the making of it. We talked Dash. a little bit about it on Red Planet, too. Yeah, he has a sort of uh, d- douchey reputation that in recent years people have been saying um, 
he's softened on and he's been gi- giving out apologies more on and he's like been trying to like just been giving them out been humble he's like the salvation army for apologies yeah except he's outside of the um the chinese theater what what's the what's the big man's chinese theater yeah and he's just ringing a bell saying i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> So he he's a guy who got to do a bunch of uh, high profile work. He got to play fucking Batman. He was in Heat. He got to play uh, he fucking was, he Batman. Work with all these big directors, and I love him in a lot of movies. I really love him in uh, Ghost and the Darkness, which is about this like sort of like colonial uh, era thriller where he. Um, it's also about fucking lions. If I was doing a title for that one, I would call it Roar Roar Paw Paw. Roar Roar. Papa. It is a very scary movie. He's amazing as Doc Holliday in Tombstone. That's probably his most, like, uh, flatly recognized as great performance, I would say. I think he was recognized for The Doors' performance, even if everyone was like, I don't really like that movie. Yeah. Um, here's the thing like about the, Val Kilmer. He's kind of an unsung actor in a lot of movies that are kind of unsung as well. I think Ghost in the Darkness. I think Spartan is really great, too. Uh, he's good in some other, like, even when his star faded, like, um, I think it's called Wonderland, where he plays John Holmes. Yes, um, he's really good. He's very good. And The Salt and Sea, where he plays kind of a crazy drug addict. In, Salt and uh, Sea was a very fun, weird, like, uh, fucked up revenge thriller perfect 2002 movie like <laughs> oh my god yeah um it's, it's kind of it's, memento-y it, yeah it's it's trying to be like pulp fiction funny while still have all the raw action but it's, but like he's good at here's the thing about val kilmer i said this in the last two episodes too i love val kilmer he is I do too. he's so good in everything uh, i said about island of dr moreau he's the best part of that movie he is electric to watch and it's it sucks that he was literally a monster to to people he worked with for for decades i'm actually gonna talk about someone else though robert downey jr it feels like a no-brainer that he was good in this movie. He's Robert Downey Jr. Like, this was his comeback movie. This was – he was almost uninsurable. He had been in a bunch of movies in the 80s and 90s. This was me watching – I had always liked Robert Downey Jr. I had seen him in stuff like, uh, I think, Hearts and Souls, which is this, like, weird musical from the 90s. Uh, two guys and a – girl or two girls and a guy, I think it's called, which was, like, this super talky – uh, movie about – but but even though I, I never really seen Robert Downey Jr. in like a movie that I loved, I'd always felt like, man, he's so good. He's just – the way he's able to deliver dialogue so naturally, which again, we talked about this earlier, saves this movie uh, and that he's able to deliver some of the clunky – some of the clunkier lines in this movie so perfectly. But man, this was his like, oh – yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is great, and he should be in more movies, and now he's only in one kind of movie, but for a while he was in everything again. John Travolta had a moment in Pulp Fiction, and he uh, got to kind of come back from Hollywood jail, and then he kind of got a uh, string of bad roles, and similar to that, Val Kilmer also got just like a string of bad roles, or I think more for Val Kilmer, more unsung roles like he's really good in uh the prince of egypt movie what was that uh what was that david mammoth movie he's really good in spartan 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 is did you say spartan 
I, I, yeah, but earlier. Spartan, Ghost in the Darkness. Like, he's, like, really good in these... Yeah. Uh, you already mentioned Salt and Sea. Like, he's really good in these roles in movies that people would not expect him to. So he was putting in the work. I'm, uh, I'm like, one of, like, five fans in the movie Mindhunters, which is this Ready Marlow movie it. about FBI profilers in a Ten Little Indians situation. I need yeah. to revisit it, but I loved that movie. But I remember being like, oh, wait, Val Kilmer still got it. And this was after his, his downfall. So here's the thing about Val Kilmer, which I think is a good contrast to Robert Downey Jr. Um, I believe that Val Kilmer, uh, I believe that Val Kilmer puts in work into his roles. I don't believe that about Robert Downey Jr. And that sounds like an insult. It's just I've seen him on award shows. I've seen him just talking off the cuff. And it's almost always the same character he plays in most of his movies. Not all of his movies. I want some fucking Chaplin fan emailing me like, it's a, it's an amazing performance, so different than everything else. Uh, he is an amazing actor. But I'm – I he's like – and maybe this is just he's he's made his entire life into a certain character that he can turn on and off. But he gives off the most effortless, effortless amazing ability to deliver any line, any sentence, any punchline of maybe any actor I've ever seen. Like the, the, the natural way that he's able to deliver anything is it's, – it's really – Amazing. I mean, and and no movie benefits more from it than I think this movie. Um, I completely agree because uh, Gay Perry is supposed to be a been there, done that, sort of seen everything, that of the scene. You get the idea that when Gay Perry starts shooting at people that like, this is probably not the first time he's used his gun. Um, this is probably not the first time he's been involved in a murder. It's probably the first – whatever, uh, you know, Harry says like – um, you know, like uh, another dead person is near me. Uh, yeah, uh, Gay Perry essentially acts like he's like he's exhausted because like he doesn't. It's not his job to fucking help him get rid of bodies. He's exhausted, but he knows exactly what you're supposed to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. and Val Kilmer as a sort of like Hollywood vet getting brought out of Val Kilmer getting brought out of retirement. And doing that sort of performance is uh, really illuminating and kind of uses his talents well. Perfect casting by Shane Black, who obviously directs and writes this one, just like he directed and wrote Iron Man 3. Uh, next week and the following week, the movies will not be directed by Shane Black. Uh, now, on the other hand, flip that back around to Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is not doing what Robert Downey Jr. normally does. He's like a naive fish out of water, but like... He, like, knows the ways of the world, but he, like, doesn't know the ways of this world. He yeah. Is, he knows how New York works. He he's a little out of LA his works. element. Yes. He's not an L.A. guy. That's that's what the joke is. That, that is, he is, that a is the joke. That is the joke. And it is. It is mostly about how much. This, this really does feel like an autobiographical Shane Black movie, which makes a ton of sense. Because let's let's put this a little bit into the context of, of Shane Black's career because we are doing this, as we mentioned last week, in a very crazy order. So Shane Black, we'll talk about it more next week, kind of his writing. We're basically doing weird bookends, just in a totally mixed up crazy order. Because next week we're going to talk about Lethal Weapon. That was his huge break. And then the following week we're going to talk about Long Kiss Goodnight, which was his take a break. 
Mm-hmm. And this is his comeback movie. This is after Long Kiss Goodnight. He spends seven years without being a part of any sort of movie. It's his first directing movie. And he was disappointed with the box office and the reception of Long Kiss Goodnight. And he wanted to take a break and try something different. He wanted to work outside of his element. And um, I think it was Joel Silver said, why don't you try writing a different uh, – something like a different genre? So he started writing a romantic comedy that wasn't going to have any action and he shopped that around and basically no one no one would take it. Um, and he kept rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it uh, and eventually it became Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, not the original title. Um, and it, it people still weren't really biting because he really wanted to direct it and he hadn't had a successful movie now and like we're talking like close to 10 years so he got a little bit of money he got two down on the their luck actors uh if you told the 80s that they would throw up that those were Val Kilmer and Robert <laughs> Downey Jr um oh my god made, this movie sounds so miserable looking at it from like a 1987 perspective yeah uh, yeah, the fact that it was uh, Shane Black, Val Kilmer, and Robert Downey Jr. was like, I don't know, give them a couple million dollars. I think the budget was was nine. Um, and then Michelle Monaghan, who hadn't hadn't been in much at that point uh, yet. So this this don't worry, this... she's about to be sidelined in uh, Mission Impossible movies <laughs> for the next de- decade. Yeah. Uh, but this movie really does I, – I think in making a romantic comedy or how it started, I think this movie does feel very Shane Black autobiographical because Shane Black always had a sense of Hollywood is dumb and phony and I want to make movies and I know that I have to play all these games and deal with these certain types. This movie is so much about making movies. And I don't mean that like as a metaphor. It's just it gets into shit about how they make movies and how they cast stuff and how they pick people that I didn't know until I saw this movie. Like Robert Downey Jr.'s character is um, the reason – like he is uh, – they're, they're pretending like he's up for this role as a new actor that he's not actually up for – they're just rolling out the red carpet, as Perry says, to shave a couple million dollars off of Jude Law's price tag so that he doesn't get nervous they're not going to offer – that they're, they're going to offer to someone else, gets nervous, and signs on for a lower price. Uh, yeah, that ha- absolutely happens. Um, so this – it feels really much about like all of Shane Black's like comments of how dumb Hollywood is said through, as you said, Robert Downey Jr.'s character who is new to Hollywood and doesn't like most of it. I, and then what's the weird thing is that like uh, Shane Black is a Hollywood veteran. He was somebody that was like picked up at a young age and thrown into the screenwriter thing. We talked about it briefly for Night of the Creeps. Um, because him and Fred Decker uh, were roommates and writing buddies. Yes, Fred Decker. Well, true, but he kind of made a name for himself. We're going to talk about this more next week. Because <laughs> I keep I saying wanna... that, but it's a crazy. No, but he with um he he like would insult Hollywood producers and screenwriters, like passive aggressively insult them in his scripts, and that's like what he's famous for is like these notes that are kind of mocking the person that's reading his script, like "Oh, you're a fancy script reader person," like and having like these asides that weren't part of the script that were directed to the people reading them, um, and and 
those so he kind of st- that's how he kind of made his name that's why he was like a hot commodity like he was he was making these commentaries on the script process in his scripts and so it feels like to me like even with his Fred Decker stuff he kind of already started with this idea of and maybe it was a bratty 22 year old at the time but this this idea of like Hollywood's kind of stupid and I'm too good for that um and then now you you talk about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang you know where he's he's older he's in his late 30s or 40s and it it feels like a more well worn down by Hollywood type persona and he is clearly um you know probably fell in love with la at one point and then fell out of love with it the kind of like hip thing to say especially for new yorkers is like la sucks i hate going to la every time i've been to la my brother lives there every time that i go to la i have a great time because like i just have guides that take me to the cool places and then i get back on my plane or get back in my car and then i go home like it's kind of like a city that i recognize as like beautiful in a lot of ways and ugly in a lot of ways and has its own problems so so it's like like a big city so it's like every fucking city in the world except for that they have except they make the pictures i live in san diego which has la probably has better dining scene probably better bars and stuff we have slightly better weather so uh we have probably slightly worse of everything and then (laughs) significantly worse weather i fucking love the twin cities i really i do i do like san diego i really like chicago like i don't have a city yet that i particularly fucking hate i would never live in new york but i really like visiting new york people love it it's a they got all the the pizza pies well, they do I just, have you know the, what? I just don't have the energy. They they all they have the, the pizza pies. We have in the New York City. Oh right, they got the oh, pizza right. pies. There's a lot to talk about this movie. Oh, I'm a chimney sweep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so okay so we, we went from we went from Ronnie Jack. So hold on, yeah. So Joni Juni. you talked about us having a fucked up arc for this month. Uh, we one do. Of the things so, that we fucked up was not having Kiss Kiss Bang Bang lead directly into Iron Man three because that would make a ton of sense. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was a movie that, if not in the public persona's eyes, in terms of critics and in terms of Hollywood types, gave Robert Downey Jr. a uh, you know a fresh face. It got like that's the thing is like there's usually these these actors that like come back or these actors that emerge don't necessarily have a role that everybody is talking about, but that but like they'll have a role that like everybody in Hollywood, the people that actually do casting, are talking about. Like at, right after Wolf of Wall Street, every movie reviewer and every Hollywood person was talking about Margot Robbie, but like people weren't talking about her for like another year or two when she started to show up in like more um other movies more other movies in magazines like fashion and uh, and runways and shit like love love it when the stars wear fashion and so like with robert Downey jr this was the movie that kind of like helped convince hollywood that he was back and And shane black sober enough to to work again this and, this yeah. movie really became a like a, a recalling card for for two people, and I don't know how Val Kilmer got left out of that, but he was, and that's bullshit. Uh, but just to, just to circle back really quick, it's let's let's get this part of it out of the way. We kind of hinted on it or hinted at it at the beginning, but most of it seems like Shane Black's frustrations at L.A. come out in one very specific form, which is how much he hates L.A. women and how much he doesn't want Michelle Monaghan's character to become an L.A. woman. And 
when he sees those characteristics, which he deems as fake and slutty and kind of paints them with a very broad, 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 broad uh, offensive brush, uh, he uh, tries his best to tell her how she is behaving incorrectly and that people would like her more, specifically him, if she behaved a certain way. So it's really every uh, shitty gaslighting asshole in the world uh, today doing that thing where uh, they tell tell a woman uh, that, that they are acting inappropriately and that maybe guys would like you more if you didn't do these things. And, of course, what they mean is them because they are abusive. Uh, yes, uh, there is a bunch of shit in here that is supposed to be uh, read as progressive. Harry, yes, Harry is a supportive dude who just doesn't want her to get sucked into this world where women are treated like garbage. So he sees what he sees is one type of abuse, which is women treated like objects. And the villain in the movie is somebody who treats women like objects in a way that's way worse than normal misogyny, normal everyday misogyny, because he's actively murdering women and using their bodies and their appearance to pull off his plans. So that's like an extreme version of misogyny. And then Harry looks at that and then that sort of um, men using women in a very aggressive manner kind of thing. And, you know, he looks at uh, there's about to be a date rape at a party. Uh, A guy walks up to Michelle Monaghan, who is passed out reading a book and starts like pulling up on her, her skirt. You know, if not date rape, at least like a molestation, like a, horrible thing to do to a a human being um and he like steps in plays like the sort of hero and then the movie stomps him down which is like funny in a modern context because like it's still funny to us because you're like oh he wanted to play like the dude hero and that didn't work out like that's funny to us but the other thing the other side of the coin is that after that he becomes this sort of like preachy asshole who's like why do you put yourself in these positions where guys can do that to you? And you're like, okay, just because you saw an extreme version of misogyny doesn't mean that what you're doing is not also misogynistic. Yeah, it's not great. It's really, it's it's really, like I said, it's tough to watch a movie now. And as it, again, uh, I haven't seen this since it came out, which I watched it a couple times. Sure, people that watched it then. We're also like, well, this is bullshit. Oh, we're not <laughs> but, like coming up with new things. I'm no. sure at the time it was being noticed no. by women and they were very annoyed. Yep. But watching it now, it was like, oh, this is awful. Like this – like Robert Tag Jr. is a bad guy and again, like you said, if, if he was like played off as not the hero of this movie and like a true anti-hero who is like a monster and an asshole, I would – it would feel better in this movie – but he's not. He is the hero. He is our narrator. He is the person you're rooting for. And, uh, you know, mea culpa to me and uh, 12 years ago, I was I was like – I was invested in their relationship. Um, uh, and I was like, oh, good. They got together at the end. I agree. At the time, I liked the movie because it had a metatextual bent that like was winking at the audience constantly. It's a very funny movie. Do not get mm-hmm. me wrong. I don't typically laugh out loud at comedies when I'm like alone especially. I was like cackling at certain parts of this movie, but um, it, but at the time I uh, in two thousand five, like this is a movie that I like loaned the DVD to friends because mm-hmm. I like was so happy with it and like it was like my weird discovery because like 
It was not being talked about. It was a modest success. Yeah, I randomly rented it on demand. And I remember being like, oh, this is a cool title. I think I read a good review of this and fell in love with it because it was – it it wasn't just different than what I was watching at the time. It was different than a lot of movies. And we can pivot a little into why I think the a lot why it is so funny. Um, it's because I can't think of a movie that I had seen at that point that not, was not just this metatextual, but um, defied narrative convention at every single possible turn. And the only thing that comes close was Army of Darkness. And I know that's a weird comparison, but. When I saw Army of Darkness at 15, I fell in love with it because it was, oh, yeah, he just is going to pull out his gun and shoot these people. And, oh, he doesn't care about these things. Like, that movie's very good at making Ash kind of a bumbling doofus. But also, you know, in the same way that that Raiders of the Lost Ark moment of him pulling out the gun when the guy wants to have a sword fight was so great. Army of Darkness felt like that for an entire movie. And now Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is doing the same thing in like the the crime police genre. Uh, and and that was felt new and fresh and amazing to me. There's a bunch of different types of fractured narrative, but Quentin Tarantino does it where he places the events in a specific order and it's your job to figure them out. And sometimes there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason to it. Uh, you can debate it later, long after the viewing, why they did it out of order. This is doing a fractured narrative thing to poke fun specifically at movies. So there's a moment where Harry gets introduced to uh, Michelle Monaghan at a bar after trying to defend her honor at a party. And she's like trying to push him away because he's like, a creep, very right how any human being would. She doesn't know he was trying to defend her. And even if she did, like, why would he get into a fight with somebody over her? Like, that's a creepy fucking thing. Other, And then as that goes on, he's just a dude that she saw at a party and now she sees him at a bar. He's been following her, obviously, as a creep. And then they recognize each other. And she's like, that's why... We have this connection and it sort of makes sense to start laughing yeah. together. And then Robert Downey Jr. stops the film dead and goes, oh, wait, I should have explained earlier. The prologue of the movie, that wasn't just Michelle Monaghan in the casket. That was me doing the magic act. And he does that a couple times where he says, I'm being a shitty narrator again and goes back and gives you more information. Yeah. So that's why they're doing the fractured narrative thing is for a comedic effect. So he's specifically breaking the movie in that way, in a way that you know that it's not that he's telling the story in the wrong order. He's telling the story in the wrong order to make a joke about movies. And people love being in on the know. This is like an insider movie. And I don't mean that in a sense of like only insiders know about this movie. Like a lot of people know about this movie. But it's an insider movie in that it is speaking to you as if you're another one of the insiders. Yeah. And it constantly constantly calls out everything it's going to do before it does it. Like yes. it, it it says there's always two cases in these books that everyone uh, is reading uh, that Michelle Monaghan's characters fell in love with uh, these, these like hard boiled detective type books. And in those books, uh, there's always two cases that seem unrelated that come together at the end. And they say that so much to the point that Robert Downey Jr., says at one point, oh, you think any of this is going to come back later to the audience? Where Shane Black really does excel in this movie is somehow doing the narrator stuff where where it's not a mystery, they're just being a bad narrator. Calling out everything. Where they say, well, normally in the in these books, they, it's not over till there's torture, and then there's a torture scene. Like, he's telling everything he's going to do in this movie, and then still somehow 
makes all of it work as a mystery while still making you kind of feel dumb that first time you see it where you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this to happen. Oh, shit, he told me it was going to happen 20 minutes ago. And he's been doing that the whole movie. And I keep getting wrapped up and surprised when it does happen. Say what you will about the shitty parts of this movie. That's why Shane Black is such a good writer. He is a He's like a poker player who plays with his cards facing up and still wins. Yeah, very similar to the Mandarin twist in Iron Man 3 from last week, where he keeps mentioning fortune cookies and he's saying, you know, you think they're Chinese, but they're actually made in America. There's a, that's Shane Black saying, the Mandarin is not what he seems, A, he is not, obviously not a Chinese guy, he is an American-made thing that is being passed off as something else for a different purpose. Yeah, I think he says something like, your destruction comes from within. Yes. My point is that the uh, that they're doing all that sort of... The, the poker player thing is a great nod. Also, speaking to Harry as a uh, audience, uh, both an audience identification character and also a Shane Black identification character, like I said, he's trying to both let you into the know, but also have a conversation with you directly... Uh, which isn't something he does in Lethal Weapon, and it's not something he no. does in Long Kiss Goodnight at all. No, he's playing a little straighter with those movies, I think. He's not winking as much to the audience, which is which is also why I think some of his later movies almost serve as commentaries on his previous movies. Not just Hollywood movies and conventions, but his own conventions where he's like, okay, so I'm going to take this structure, and then I'm going to flip my own structure this way. Yeah, I think Harry is a... A channel between worlds in that sense. He was the first choice for Doctor Strange, uh, and then he found out that it was just so they could shave a couple million dollars off of Benedict uh, Cumberbatch's <laughs> price. <laughs> and he's like, I'm already- Not Robert Downey Jr., Harry in this movie. Harry in this movie. Um, Harry being this like narrative link between us and the movie is really wonderful. The only problem with that is when Harry says a bunch of misogynistic bullshit- yeah. There's two jokes, actually, I think, early on uh, with Harry being a weirdo that's like are actually kind of funny. There's the opening prologue and Michelle Monaghan is performing a magic act. It's the Saw, Saw Girl in Half act. And she's such a good performer that everybody freaks out and starts actually paying attention to the magic act and tries to break up in the box. And it was she was fine the whole time. She's just such a good performer. And she goes, I'm going to be an actress. And then her dad slaps her. That is a joke that is like right on the line because it's like actually funny that like she's like she's missing the point because <laughs> a, ch- a child misses the point. But it's not funny because A, a child is being hit and B, that leads to more misogyny later in the movie. There's a lot of jokes in the movie, I think, that fall off of the the, the high wire, I think. Yep. But he also still does really high wire tricks later, but, like, that's one where he falls off the wire where he's like, it's funny, and then you, like, the movie goes on, and you're like, actually, that wasn't funny because the movie doesn't treat actresses well. <laughs> doesn't no. treat women well. <laughs> and then it, it tries to be a movie about defending women, not just in Robert Downey Jr.'s, like, uh, you know, bullshit feminism um, but also in the, the fact that – so you find out that Michelle Monaghan and her, and her sister both read these Johnny Gossamer books. They were being sexually abused by their father. You find out later on and there's a scene at the end because his her sister gets killed as part of this plot. Again, too convoluted to get into in this podcast. Watch the movie if you haven't. But uh, when they, they – at the end of the movie, they go back to the funeral and Val Kilmer – 
of all people, goes in and like verbally berates the old man saying that, you know, you killed the sister. And you're like, man, this is an out of place scene for this movie. Then the movie calls that out. The movie's like, man, that was really tough. And then it mentions it again at the end where, I hope you guys had a good time, except for that scene with the old man. That wasn't fun for anyone. Like, so it's it's almost in a weird way. And I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. I kind of lean bad. It's like he's putting these shitty things in and then acknowledging they're shitty, not not the actions themselves, but the fact that they're in the movie at all. And I, I think in some ways that's done as a commentary on those scenes. It also inoculates a li- maybe himself from from criticism of – It of, is definitely of, a self-conscious move. It's definitely – it's trying to inoculate himself from these kind of exploitive uh, scenes – but ultimately, it gets really frustrating because if that scene had been Michelle Monaghan, I think you could you could make a defense for it. But again, it's where this movie really falls down is that this is essentially a movie about men defending women from other worse men. And you know when you have a, when you have a character like Michelle Monaghan, who in this movie is an extremely Cape, like she's a she's a I think a well written funny capable character, but then anytime they're they're close to giving her like some sort of uh, capability, she needs to be rescued by Harry. She needs to be rescued by Val Kilmer uh, killing the dad. You know, like like she she still ends up somehow being the damsel that everyone needs to defend, even though that's so outside of everything else we see about her character. So, I mean, again, it it really is a movie about men defending women from other men while thinking that, like, they need defending because they can't take care of themselves. And that's not great. So, I, I my, my thoughts on that are that – are exactly with yours. The extremism of the misogyny and the abuse – and I really wish the sexual assault stuff was not in there. I really – it's not necessary. It just adds a wrinkle to the end. It adds a bad scene that the movie needs to, like, self-consciously defend – or if you're going to do it, have Michelle Monaghan face yes. her dad and say, you kill – why is Val – of all people, why is Val Kilmer doing it? It, it makes why no did, fucking sense. And also, Val Kilmer is such a blasé, out-of-the-loop out guy that, like, why would he be the one to – He's not friends. He wasn't funeral. there. Yeah, Robert Downey – yeah, I don't know why he's at the funeral, let alone berating the dad. Like, Robert Downey Jr. grew up with her and knew the sister. Yes. He's like, just going one of the, like, it should have been Michelle Monaghan. I guess if you're a writer, you might, because you've made Robert Downey Jr. into this hero of women the whole movie, it would make sense for him to be it from that writer's perspective again. Yes. Uh, but Val Kilmer makes no goddamn sense. Yeah. It's, it makes no sense. But it, the extremism of the misogyny and the abuse and the fact that they're up against a villain who is literally using women's faces and bodies to commit a fraud and commit a, this act is, is is horrible. Or at least the movie makes us think that. And at the end, they decide that it's just like a mixed – it's like a confusion thing going on where like – there's like a whole other weird plot twist at the end that like really doesn't need to be in there where uh, we find out that actually they, they weren't doing any sort of like conspiracy to bring in a woman that looks like the man's daughter to it's well, they know they stuff. were, they were doing that conspiracy. It just wasn't Michelle Monaghan's sister. Yeah. She just killed herself. That is, yeah. and that is, and that is something that I think Michelle Monaghan's sister is not developed enough to have the sister be anything but f- a fridged woman. It's not worth it. 
And then also the sexual assault stuff is, is just adds in a bunch of wrinkles that you're like, why is this here? Yeah. And also, uh, Michelle Monaghan is unaffected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, yes. which is also like what, whether your sister was killed herself or was murdered, um, she is still like bubbly and happily and like, let's go solve the crime. And, and like the crime is her sister being murdered. Uh, it is it is possible. The more I talk about this movie, the more I'm going to dislike it. But let's circle. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back. I want to get through this because then we can circle back to what we like about it. Um, uh, it is this is a movie that I really like. But yeah, the extremism of the misogyny and abuse is sort of putting uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s misogyny and the movie's misogyny into uh, like a relative state where you're like, well, I guess he's not murdering women and abusing them, but. It, it, it makes all of it relative, which is kind of a weird thing to do. So there are, there are two tropes that uh, I think have been rightly called out by women, by feminists, by allies. Uh, the first one is the girls date assholes trope. Girls, they're always just dating the, the jocks and the assholes and all us quiet, nice guys get to, you know, sit on the sidelines while women don't fuck us. And it comes from a really gross place, which is A, expecting that if you're nice to women that they deserve to fuck you. Really gross. Uh, B. Just just to pause that, one of my favorite tweets ever I saw was that uh, maybe if you uh, expect women to fuck you for common uh, human courtesy, you're not actually a nice guy. Yes, exactly. That The nice guy thing is um, a horrific misunderstanding of how human beings work, let alone women. Um, because it is uh, the idea that, like, just because you are polite in a human normal society, human member of society, that they deserve you deserve something. It's just like really gross. Um, so the girls dating asshole tropes, I really want to get into that. And it's something that you should figure out very quickly when you're in high school and in college, you should figure out very quickly. If you think girls only date assholes, maybe look at yourself and see that maybe the guys that you think are assholes are the ones that are actually talking to them and engaging with them. I actually think it's less complicated than that. I think that, when, like th- those people that say stuff like that are usually the type of people like they're like oh oh they're they're just assholes it's like well most of the time they're fine like they just like sports and you don't and they play sports teams and the, and you don't <laughs> yeah and, and recent and, years like and, and, years, and, I just have and, more sympathy for the jocks than the yeah we way more and then it's also like and also like uh, yeah he's also like i don't know that person's more conventionally attractive than you. I like, I'm sorry. That's the way weird thing. We're like, I think guys are like women don't actually like sports. And, but if I got them into a, the shit that I liked, I could show them some real stuff. That's important. And it's like, well, none of it's important. Like no. Movies, sports, like they're, I like movies way more than sports, but the one's not, one's not better than the other. Yeah, no, and, and it's something that I don't want to get too bogged down in, but there yeah, is a, this, but it's something I want to call out is this like nice guy, girls date assholes trope because it really grosses me out. Yeah, Peter, from our previous conversations, I would say you agree with me. Uh, the times that I have felt uh, most lonely in my life was when I was being an asshole. So obviously that's not true. I agree entirely. So, me <laughs> figuring out that I had anxiety problems in college, like, gravely fixed every relationship I had. Yeah. Sexual, non-sexual, every friendship I had, where I was like, why is that guy being such an asshole? And you're like, deep breaths. The person's not being an asshole. 
you are just uncomfortable. <laughs> we we've and also we've talked about this before the 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 Michael Ian Black line of like there's no invisible audience. These are just your friends and your relationships and uh like there's no audience on a TV show waiting to laugh at all your your like quick humor at the expense of other people. Yeah, it's a great quote. It's between this movie and the nice guys, Shane Black learned a lot of lessons. Uh cuz the Nice Guys is a movie that still has his cynicism. It still has his mean sense of, of humor. But, like, it's not as uh, bitter and caustic at the bullies that keep him down and keep him from, you know, getting to have sex with all the pretty women and all that shit that, like, is just comes through in the movie whether or not he intended it to. Well, and this is, like, the this is the most infuriating version of that where it's not just that women nice women wouldn't date him or something like that this movie is really every girl that he sees throws or robert downey jr's character sees like throws himself at him and offers to have sex and then when he turns them down because he doesn't want that type of relationship they um retaliate and that's why he hates women this feels like a movie when shane black wrote is like yeah all these beautiful hollywood women i sleep with are just so vapid but i can have anyone i want but i just want a real one so it is like really the grossest of the gross of all these different iterations of that kind of like um nice guy thing yeah, and he his um his women issues uh, are just deepest in this movie. I don't. I think Long Kiss Goodnight is actually way more progressive in how it treats uh, Gina Davis. Haven't uh, seen we'll since nineteen ninety nine. Am so excited to revisit it. We'll, I love we'll it get then. to it. Uh, I also think we're going to get to it. Lethal Weapon still has its women problems. The series actually gets more women friendly as Shane Black exits the series. Three and four are so women friendly compared to one and two, um, so it, it's a it's sort of a thing. Like so, Shane Black is one of my favorite favorite uh, Hollywood people in terms of like his output. But you have to it, in twenty seventeen, you have to call out your heroes as well as everybody you hate. You have to call out the people that you admire and the people that you loathe. You have to call out everybody that is not. Like, it's just part of the deal. It's like if somebody – nobody is going to get any better if we're just like, well, I liked his last three movies, so I'm not going to It was – or, or again, the thing I, – I feel like we get to the same place often, but it is like, yeah, just because it was 2005 doesn't make it okay. You know, I'll be upfront about this in a lot of other movies. If I was saying Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for the first time, I probably would have a lower opinion of it than I do right now. My opinion of it went down since I had seen it in 2005, 2006. I still really like the movie, but I know a lot of that some, – some of that like residual like, okay, maybe it's not five stars. Maybe it's four and a half stars is because of how much I liked it in 2005, 2006. I don't know sure. what I would th- – I don't know what I would think about any of these movies if I saw them for the first time today. Because I honestly, I mean, I can't. No. Yeah. Um, but but I can acknowledge at the very least that movies where I see this for the first time, I'm less forgiving. And I, I probably am uh, being as much a hypocrite as anyone who goes and says, well, yeah, this is still a great movie, but it has serious misogyny and homophobic problems which is you know if i saw a movie in 2017 that had that it might be a two-star movie but let's transition to what this movie really gets right which is i think some of the best uh shane black subversion related stuff i want i want to call it three quick moments peter where really demonstrate how how good shane black is at taking a trope and turning it on its uh on its head 
Um, and also my favorite points of the movie, which is uh, the Russian roulette scene where they need information from a witness and they're trying to threaten him with the gun. Uh, Harry throws a bullet in the gun and spins it and and is in the middle of asking his first question and shoots him and kills him in the head. It which... is so shocking funny. Like it, it is – it's something that like at the, at the time I like put my hands over my mouth. I was so like, oh my god, they did – what? They didn't do yeah. that. Yeah. Because at, at the time when you're watching, you're like, well, this was their only lead. Like everything brought them to this point and the fact that – you know, most movies would have, if they would have done that joke, would have at least gotten some part of in, some modicum of information for them to get to the next scene. And this movie kills them before that happens. Uh, that makes so much sense because of how the movie's journey goes. They kind of stumble onto a lot of what they find. So yep. they find the car with the dead girl inside because the car drives off the cliff and then they happen to be parked near the lake. At the end of the movie, Harry survives the shootout and saves the day. He becomes the, he becomes the Prince Charming for Harmony as well as Gay Perry because he we just call him Perry. He uh <laughs> He's credited as <laughs> I know Perry, and it is not fun to say. I no. will go to Perry now. Um, I know it's confusing, Harry and Perry. Yes. But sorry, listeners, you're just going to have to deal with it for the next 30 minutes or 20 minutes or yeah. however much is left. He also stumbles through that final gunfight where he's sort of like he's he's uh, convict. He's in his conviction to kill these guys. But like, honestly, if anything had gone differently, he wouldn't have won. That same thing is it happens with the, the interrogation scene where that just like goes completely wrong and then they get captured and then they find out all the information because the movie had to literally send in the villain to grab them and tell them everything they <laughs> yeah. needed to know and then they find a way out of it. Yeah, normally in these movies they're one step ahead of the villain or catching up to the villain and this movie, the villain just finally sits them down and is like, you guys are lost. Here's why I'm going to kill you because I know you're doing the following things. Uh, you mentioned that ending scene, that's one of my other top three uh, top three twists in this movie, which is, again, normal movie trope. A bunch of bullets come out. People get shot. Robert Downey Jr. gets shot in the chest. But you know he's got that Johnny Gossamer book there. And he – and you – you know, he stopped the bullet. So he's able to get up, as you said, be the Prince Charming, kill everyone and save the day. Except that at the end of that scene, he goes, oh, no, went right through. And yeah. he was shot in the heart, which is great because the bu- the book stopping uh, the bullet is such a common trope. And the, the thing like, oh, no, no, that, that one got me too. It, it, the body armor gag hasn't been that well subverted by movies still. I wish more movies would subvert that sort of crap more often. And Jane yeah. Black, it, it just feels like a breath of fresh air. Well, and then on top of that, he's got the Val Kilmer subversion, too, where you think Val Kilmer's dead, and he shows back up at the hospital, and again, the movie throws all its cards on the table, like, yeah, I know. I know you thought he was dead. It's pretty shitty when movies do this. Bring a character back that's clearly dead, but what can I tell you? So, do you want to know what that's calling out? Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, okay. So, have you seen Lethal Weapon 2? Yeah, I've seen all the Lethal Weapons. Yeah, I love them. I watch them. I've seen all the Loaded Weapons, too. (laughs) I watch me too. I watch the Lethal Weapon movies almost every year. Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen any of them, 
in a long time. One but and two I've... are the only really good ones, but three and four. I are remember still liking fun. three and four. Yeah, if you like the characters, you'll you'll still like three and four. Four has racism issues. We'll get into the Mel Gibson stuff next week because oh that is God. literally this is, this is. I'm glad we're ending with a long kiss goodnight because uh, yeah, I, think, least... I think next week is going to be a weird like. Hey, 2003 me love Lethal Weapon. I still love Lethal Weapon. I still watch it every year as like a Christmas movie. Or love um, Mel Gibson. And I've just decided that um, the Mel Gibson I'm looking at in 1987 is a different one than the one in 2005 or whatever that made an anti-Semitic movie and then uh, beat his wife. Um and then said a bunch of also anti-Semitic stuff. He did bad and stuff. And racist shit. Yeah, yeah, he just did like all the bad stuff. He's like, he's like the six. worst person and um i he is great he was one of the most charismatic charming actors that but we've ever had but i will say that i don't think he should be allowed to to make movies ever again and if he could go away forever that would be great yeah we'll get we'll get to next week we'll I, get it i'm just, I'm just it. setting i'm just setting the cutoff date for what work of his i can enjoy at like 2003 anything after that i can't enjoy so anyways, uh, they're referencing the Lethal Weapon 2 thing, which I'm sure you already know about, where they, at the end of the movie, uh, Riggs gets filled full of holes. He just gets yeah. shot, and it's, uh, Lethal Weapon 2 is really good. Um, but Riggs gets filled it's full of holes. It's been revoked. <laughs> Diplomatic immunity. It's a great line. Um, yeah. But Riggs gets to uh, gets and he's sort of dying on the board and it's sort of last minute. Uh, Richard Donner and uh, Joel Silver, I think maybe, and one of the other producers said, "No, Shane Black, we're not killing Riggs as you originally planned. We're gonna keep him alive and make a, a you know continue the franchise." And Shane Black freaked out, left the production because he was so pissed about. The ending changing mm. and then Riggs lives at the end which is it's both a sweet ending because it's Mel a G.I. Joe movie yeah ending the 1987 one Duke's okay <laughs> so the weird thing is it works in the movie because of how the series continued but like at the time like it would have made sense for Riggs to die this is Riggs really going off the deep end but like yeah lethal weapon is not to live and die in LA so like you kind of get both sides of the argument like Riggs should be able to walk off into the sunset happy. But anyway, so that was, I think that's what he's referencing with the gay Perry, uh, not dying, dying, then not dying. Because I think he's referencing the time that Hollywood producers specifically came in and told him as a writer, actually, this character is going to live because we can make more money off of them. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so, uh, and then the, the, Final subversion I really I really, really love that this movie does and this movie does so many. So it's it's like Iron Man Three, it's like subversion on top of subversion, it's taking lines, character expectations, it's just constantly doing uh what all other movies don't do. It it zigs when other movies zag, and that makes it for such a fun watch, especially if you if you've watched enough of these movies to understand how it's supposed to go. And on top of that there's a lot of movies that defy convention or invert conventions. Why Shane Black is so good is he's like he's like doing it in layers. He's doing it every other line. It is not like, hey, we're going to have a twist on like the, the bullet thing where the bullet goes through. In most movies, that would be um, – goes through the book. In most movies, that would be that the person immediately dies. He still saves the day. <laughs> And oh, then, yeah. and then you find out like she, he's so good at not just like 
uh, upending conventions, but like upending the people who already upended those conventions. And it's just, it's just unrelenting throughout the movie. And that's why it's so much fun to watch. Cause you, as a, as a viewer, literally don't know um where it's gonna go but the final one is is um that when he puts his hand in the door and he gets his finger cut off because that is such a random thing to happen in any movie and most it would never happen in most movies it it felt so bizarre when michelle monaghan opens the door back up and goes did i just accidentally cut your finger off because it's like that never happens in movies because then the movie has to be about his finger. And most yeah. movies are like most movies are like, we have this fast paced thing to go. We don't have time to deal with what he's gonna do about his finger. There's all these real world things that he has to think about, and that'll bog down our, our adventure movie. And so that would be dumb if that happened. And this movie somehow not only does it, but makes him having to deal with it both hilarious and then also relevant to certain parts of the plot. Like, it doesn't bog it down. Like, when I first saw it, Peter, I literally was like, ah, fuck. Like, it was surprising, but then it was like, great, now I'm in this middle of a fun adventure and I got to see him deal with this finger problem. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I was just like most movie producers who would say, Lose this finger thing. It's gonna. It's a. It's a waste of time. It's out of nowhere. It's gonna derail your story, and then somehow he like makes it work over and over and over again. So they also do that in Nice Guys, where uh, he just gets horribly injured. Ryan Gosling yeah. gets horribly injured <laughs> yeah. in the first like twenty minutes of the movie, uh, and it's just treated as like a joke, and it comes from two places. One, Shane Black being a cynical dude who like knows like there's some movie bullshit going on if you get your finger chopped off that doesn't mean you don't have a finger forever that means you go to the hospital and do a surgery and like it might like burn you might have to take antibiotics for a little bit but like you can get your finger back (laughs) like that is specifically him watching movies and probably getting mad in the seat and that's why people love Shane Black so much is that like uh, he's sitting back and having the same thoughts as you but he is more articulate and funnier than you are and he knows you're going to have those thoughts. So he has answers ready for them. And he knows that you've seen too many movies. And so you know that the movie is going to zig instead of zag. But to use the Jimmy James line from news radio, that's when he zugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he zugs real hard. Um, he's living the zug life. Uh, And that's what makes this movie so fun is that he does the things that you would never expect him to be able to do. And a lot of that comes from him being a director. So, like, the next two movies are going to be a uh, a little speeder, I think, um, because they are directed by someone who's not as bitter at the world. Rennie Harlan and Richard Donner fucking love making movies. Like, they're not, like bitter caustic old man like they like legitimately love making movies they want to make movies that the audiences will like and and long kiss goodnight uh, of my memory serves me has has some really good twists but it it's not the frantic pace where you know if it was kiss kiss bang bang 
in a vacuum that was like this twist on top of twist, upending convention, reversions. Like he is he is ten steps ahead of the audience at all times, and not just for specific moments, but throughout the entire movie, throughout line changes and and what's going to happen next. It would feel like that was like his commentary, but like. It's very clear now from watching both Iron Man 3, which I think does that the entire movie as well, and and, and Nice Guys, that there's probably a version of Lethal Weapon or Long Kiss Goodnight or The Last Boy Scout or, or any of his other movies that was going to do that. Now, that doesn't mean it was changed by the director. Maybe he wrote other drafts or was trying to make more sellable material and now he's in a little bit more of a I don't give a fuck mode. This is what I've always wanted to do. Yes. Uh, but, like, th- it's it's very clear that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think everyone thought it was going to be a one-off. And, like, how, like, manic it was about just constantly – uh, flipping the script and tearing it up and stuff. And then the fact that he did the same thing with an, with a Marvel movie and then did the same thing with Nice Guys. Like, I hope he makes 20 more of these movies because somehow he is always ahead of everyone. And and that's so impressive. And this this was really him kind of taking his own reins of his material and going, no, 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 no. Lethal Weapon was running a few like um, lengths ahead of ahead of the competition in, in its cleverness, but I've always wanted to be literally lapping the competition for how much how much stuff I was going to do that defies convention. This movie being such a raw distillation of Shane Black, for better or for worse, it does uh, make me like him more. Weirdly enough, on balance, it's not a movie that I'm going to return to a bunch. Uh, that's Nice Guys. Nice Guys is going to be his latter day movie that I return to a bunch. I think I think Iron Man too. My opinion of Iron Man three. Um, we talked for three hours. I forget if I mentioned it. It went up. Like, I... I, I didn't mind it, too. Like, and I already loved it. It was already one of my top five Marvel movies. But I think I got to, to look at it again and go, oh, no, this is, like, pure Shane Black and and kill, f- killing it on all cylinders. It, it, that's, that's surprising. And, and The Nice Guys, too, yeah, was one of my favorite movies last year. Fantastic. I think that Nice Guys will be the one I return to more because of the misogyny stuff in this. But, like, it's a movie that did make me like Shane Black even more, returning it just because I'm seeing his weaknesses and his strengths. And it helps um, sort of magnify the strengths of what I like about all of his other movies. And, like, he had to be way more subtle about his subversions in Long Kiss Goodnight and Lethal Weapon and, you know, The Last Boy Scout and all of his uh, sort of right-for-hire projects. His acting choices in Predator. He loves pussy in that movie. He's talking about eating it. He's talking about all of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's really gross. Uh, We talked about this on Predator 2, Predator is not that great of a movie. Come at us all you want, uh, Caro. We love to watch. The last 20 minutes of Predator are really good. Uh, as we move towards the end of this, yes. my And one thing that I really like about Shane Black in these movies is that um, I thought maybe the sweetness at the end of Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2 came from either uh, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson clearly loving each other, which is like... My the main reason I like the Lethal Weapon series and I keep returning to it and keep pretending that Mel Gibson died in two thousand and three in a fatal car crash is that 
Uh, they clearly love each other, like, in person and on set, like, and if they don't, they're the best actors in the world, because there's this, like, wonderful bond that, like, by the end of Lethal Weapon, there's a scene that makes me cry, which is Riggs showing up to dinner at Murtaugh's house, um, after all the horrible things they've done to each other, they, like, truly love each other, um, in... Iron Man 3, at the end, the kid gets the his own shop. And it's truly a sign of love because it's not like he's just giving him an Iron Man suit. He's giving him the tools to make his own Iron Man, whatever that is. Um, and in the end of this movie, it has a very sweet, uh, uncynical ending. I think all of his movies do. Yeah, they, this movie has a very sweet ending that has... Um, it is a the Skype conversation, mostly... Uh, is where the sweetness comes from because it's it, you finally decide like Gay Perry did not. I'm calling him Perry. If you can't understand Perry and Harry, it's fine. Uh, just call Perry, him Val. Just do what we do most episodes: randomly Val. interchange the actor and the character's name, yeah. and then get some of them wrong. It's fine. We do a lot of movies. I can't be expected to learn nine thousand characters in a year. Um, I know. I know. Like this is true, Peter. I know seven names tops. Harry, Barry, Perry, Gary, Terry, Larry, Jarm. You should hear the attempts I make to talk to my wife and my daughter. It is <laughs> embarrassing. Like, hey guys, sport. See you two later. Um, have a good night, sweetie. Sweet tombs. Swar swar swardums swarly swarmander. Oh, um, <laughs> once I once I do some cleaning and find that birth certificate, I'm gonna at least know one of their names. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you faked the birth certificate on your wife and your child, right? I'll tell you what. You know, when's not a good time to joke around. Um, when you're filling out the birth certificate, I thought Unit <laughs> 1 would be such a great, like, a Facebook gag. Uh, but changing that is expensive and involves lawyers. So don't tell anyone that her her legal name is, is Unit 1. <laughs> um, also, um, please, I'm about to have another kid. Uh, please talk me out of naming the other one Unit 2. I don't want to anymore. It's been a disaster the first time, but, you know, like, sometimes siblings feel like if you, if you do something for one, you gotta do it for the other. So, it's like, will, will our second kid be pissed if, if she finds out she just has a name and not an assigned number? <laughs> it's, I, I, it's, look, it's, it's keeping me up at nights. I don't want to get into it. Right if, you're, if, if your children have a name, it implies, like, I don't know, you went in a book and just, like, picked something at random. If they have a number, they know their place in the world. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're one and two. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get much better than that. that uh, man, it doesn't get much better than that. That's if you were to say bees. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you were to if you were to say hey name two numbers, those would be the first two. Like probably a lot of people would pick. I haven't done the the surveys that I'm planning. Hey, what's the number for Gallup? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? So I can cover my tracks. If you know the number for Gallup, put it 
everything you're saying right now. DCSF? DCFS. 1-800? That's oh, not enough. It's, it's enough, baby. It's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you're not giving me all the numbers. I'm giving you all the numbers you need. Okay. Okay. okay so it's like a it's like a national treasure situation. Yeah. I want you to become the numbers that you want to see in the world. Seven. Sure. And also also four. Just Google DCFS and okay. dial that number. Again, I don't think the call's gonna register, but I'll do my best. I'll press the numbers really hard. Tell them about the whole naming kids thing. It's definitely not not fucked up at all. I'm not going to tell them that. It could get back to my wife and I'd be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Don't worry. Like, if you don't fucking delete this from the... I would say you need to delete this from the podcast, but she doesn't listen to it, so this this is the safest place I could say this. Do you know if any cops listen to the podcast? I don't. They haven't mentioned it in any of their reviews. <laughs> Would it start with "as a cop"? I. I mean, I start all of my statements with "as a podcaster." <laughs> <laughs> this is my. I think you should take a take a right at this street based on what my GPS is saying. But I'm only I'm only saying that as a podcaster. My wife and I are getting a divorce. Did I tell you that? <laughs> as a podcaster, my wife and I are getting a divorce. <laughs> as, as, as a podcaster. Yeah, my dog doesn't listen to me anymore. Like, as a podcaster, sit. <laughs> it's too complicated, they say, but I'm not giving up on it. As a podcaster, I have rampant type C diabetes. The only reason I don't say it on this show specifically is because if you're listening to this, you know I'm a podcaster, but any other time, people might not know. They might not know where you come from, what perspective you're speaking from. Anything I do might be perspective on the show. I like to give my expertise out front, like, so that they're not like, oh, he said that I should see this movie, but he's just a guy I work with. And then I'd be like, no, but, but I, but I, but I podcast. And they're like, I better, I better see this movie. You say that, but like, if you were a convicted felon, you would have to start every sentence with, as a convicted felon, I. Where do you think I got the motto for my behavior from? <laughs> I don't commit the crimes, but I do the time. <laughs> See, when we when we have guests on the show, they wouldn't let us do it for this long. I don't know why I let us do it this long. Or me. Really, I wanted to wrap this up so I could play more Zelda. Yeah, you're gonna play Zelda as the main character and protagonist, Zelda. I thought it was Chocobo. <laughs> I don't I, we've been doing it so long, I don't know how to get out of it. Is, is he Pona in that game? This feel this feels like how I imagine ghosts feeling in Ghostbusters when they get sucked into the trap. <laughs> like 
how do I get out of this? This also applies. I didn't need the Ghostbusters analogy, really, because it also applies to all traps. <laughs> do you think bears whisper when they're in bear, tra- bear traps? I imagine they're much louder. I bet they feel trapped, though. Yeah, I feel that's like so. that's the part of the analogy I'm really trying to hammer home, not the whispering. How do you think that a musician like E-40 who makes trap music would feel when he tries to venture out into, like, gangster rap, but he can't do it, so he has to go back to trap music to make money? I think he'd feel pretty trapped. (laughs) If I'm I'm just saying the first thing that comes to my head. (laughs) I thank you for speaking from his perspective. So anyway, so um, uh, some final thoughts. One thing I want to say about this movie and then Iron Man 3 and Nice Guys, which we were talking about 20 minutes ago. I can I can still le- level all the criticisms that I have against this movie, and they are uh, many. I will still – I will give Shane Black credit, though. His next two movies have all of the strengths of this movie and none of the weaknesses. He – seemed to realize or maybe i don't know if he seemed to realize it or he got it out of his system all his misogyny i don't know but at the end of the day he his next two movies take the best parts of this and leave out all of the offensive worst parts and i hope it's some level of personal growth but regardless it makes for movies that i feel better about watching over and over again this movie has so many great moments it just sucks that it is under a thematic oozing grossness of uh, women can't protect themselves and men need to do it for them. Uh, I agree entirely. Um, and it is a situation where um, if this were Shane Black's last movie, it would be less forgivable. But we got to see him grow and become a lot better uh, in a lot of these fronts and be less bitter at women in the world um and this was a hard thing to do was tear apart a movie that we like both loved into i I used to call this yeah i mean i i thought this was gonna be a five-star movie going into it honestly like and i watched it before you and i said oof like there's gonna be some stuff to talk about that i didn't remember and you thought I was referring specifically to the to the Gabe Perry stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's there's some stuff to talk about there, but not like I forgot how misogynistic this movie is. Yeah. Um, so it you know it it was a surprise to me. Um, this is the my part memory of the podcast betra- where Aaron and Peter kind of spin their wheels and say stuff that they've already said before. You know the fucking drill. You've listened to a podcast before. If you haven't seen it, you've probably seen it. If you haven't, uh, hopefully you've heard our warnings. There's there's so much good stuff in here, but it's it's under a layer of bullshit. So you make your own determinations on what your appetite is for that. I wouldn't blame you if you skipped it and went to Iron Man three and Nice Guys. But I, but like I said earlier, I do think that this movie is extremely funny. Um, yep, and it does have a lot of his um his his trademarks and as a uh a softy at heart uh i do appreciate that shane black always takes his like bitter acerbic cynicism with uh, a grain of salt and he always wants to laugh not only at the movie that he's making and at the tropes in the hollywood that he's making his movie 
but um, also at himself. Yeah, and he always makes you care about the characters enough to not find the happy endings cloying, but appreciate that after all the shit that Shane Black puts his characters through, he get, like he 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 makes them earn their happy endings. But the happy endings feel legitimate. They don't feel like a Hollywood twist. They don't feel like you're frustrated. Um, you know, that's that's a prime example of some good character work. If this is his low, that's pretty good. Maybe Last Boy Scout is his true low. But, like, if this is his low in terms of, you know, social awareness and, you know, actually directly offending me. That's a, that's a big statement pre-Lethal Weapon. I think Lethal Weapon is pretty safe, except for not anticipating that its lead actor was going to become a monster in 12 years. I, I always approach 80s movies I love, though, that I haven't seen for a long time with even more a degree of, all right, let's see what happens. <laughs> And next week we are doing yeah, we're gonna have this episode like seventeen times, like they did that last Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. So Man, Aaron, that sounds really sad now. It's like I was about. Cool. Oh yeah, no. I was, so I was about to say. Uh, so Peter and I are fine. Instead, I said so Aaron and I are fine. But uh, yeah, so Your Peter and I are fine. Of episode we're, is over. We're gonna we're gonna keep doing episodes. The next one, as we've uh, I would say alluded to, but just said over and over, will be Lethal Weapon. I love those movies, uh, but I haven't seen them in a while. And um, for for so many reasons that we said, I am hoping I love it as much as I did. Hoping that I'm able to get through. I don't. I can't remember the last time I've seen a Mel Gibson movie. To be honest with you, so this this will be good. But I did. I'll tell you what. Two thousand Aaron lo- fucking love those movies. So. I'm hoping I love them still. So I'm excited to see what happens next week. I can't think of a better teaser than that. Uh, and then we're doing Long Kiss Goodnight. And then um, we're going to save January's announcement till next week. But the first week in January, before we get to our month proper, we're going to do uh, the same thing we did last year that we said was going to become an annual tradition. And by God, it did. Where we're going to go through our best movies of 2016 because we don't make the big critic bucks and are able to see uh, all the movies in time for um, a normal best of list. So we always say, hey, if, you, if you're going to be a little late, why not be comprehensive and then really fucking late? Uh, yeah, and that's the fun thing is that we saw about 90 to 95% of the movies that we wish we had seen for the year uh, yep. by the time we will have recorded this episode, and it's a it's a fun one. Um, so we're excited to release that when we get there. And that's with Joseph J. Finn, previous guest. We're very excited to have him back on, and he was on our 2015 one, and God willing, he will be on our 2017 one. So... Uh, but he won't be on our 2018 one because uh, Peter and I are going to get into a fight and stop the podcast for a little bit. But then I'll be back for 2019. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on finding some petty bullshit to fight with you about. Uh, I mean, stock options on the podcast. <laughs> well, no, Peter, do I don't know if people know this. All of our episodes are written in advance, and we have plot lines going out to 200, uh, 200 <laughs> 2025. That misstep that I just said was uh, supposed to be a joke. I We wrote it. I said the, the it says laugh after you get the year wrong by a significant amount and then just keep going. So um, You're doing great, and, honey. Yeah, the great, great reading of the line that we wrote. We're each other's directors. 
We are. Uh, and so, yeah, so sorry to ruin some plot lines that are coming in 2018, but Peter and I are going to get into a fight, but it's going to get wrapped up with some hot, hot sex. <laughs> you know that old expression, hot, hot sex. Hot, yeah. Uh, hot, hot sex. Some people dancing, some people prancing, feeling hot, hot sex. So how how does one end a Shane Black episode? Well, we wrote it down, remember? If we're going to continue that. Mm-hmm. Saying that. Um, so let me I would check the script, yeah. Women should only fuck nice guys? Aaron, what Ugh. did you write here? Hey, it was your script week. <laughs> oh. No, this was your script week. It was your script week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. This was the, this was oh, the auto-generating Peter. script bot 5000 who... <laughs> We yeah. didn't we didn't check off re, uh remove uh misogyny from his settings. Oh, we really got to stop hiring those interns <laughs> who are who are 70 years old. Um I love 70-year-old interns. Uh they're just really setting themselves up for their future. They 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 got some really regressive viewpoints though. I thought you were going to start whispering again. I I kind of got myself out of it. Yeah. I, I want to go to bed. I want to I, want, I also want to go to bed. Okay. Good night, sweetie. <laughs> Good night, sweet prince. It's it's not it's not because I you're one of the names I forgot. It's just I just think you're a sweetie. But just like you know, just for fun. Just sweet little baby boy. In his manger, dear. Can't you see what he had to go through? To come into this world and be here Sweet little baby boy Just a savior who was born On a day that was so cold Oh, guess on a Christmas morn Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening.
to We Love to Watch. You know what's more fun than movies? Video games. <laughs> yeah, they are. When so when you're when you're like upset about something stressing you out, maybe get into a fight, maybe you have a bad day at work. What's your preferred unwinding? Video games or movies? Um, my preferred unwinding is actually jacking it. That's the secret just, third option. Is uh, spanking it raw style. Um, but you know, I'll settle for a nice television program. You need to tell – see, I – like, if I need to get my mind off something, it's all video games because it's 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 active on some level. Yeah, mom, it's active. I'm using my brain. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to I, go outside and exercise. <laughs> it is true that, like, you can you could be having a great time with a video game and completely forget that, like, somebody broke up with you or yeah. you're, like, in a shitty place in life. All, and then- all, all, all I got to do is find this mushroom I'm going to make a stew and – and then I'm gonna have then I'm gonna have stealth power and it's everything's gonna be good. And then when I and then when I beat the game, I won't have any feelings, right? All my feelings will have gone away. Oh, all I all I need is a hundred gamer points, a couple <laughs> couple more trophies. Do you ever actually die when you're like super focused and you've completely forgotten about a thing, and then you have to stare at a loading screen and you're like, oh fuck, that's why I'm playing this because. Brenda was a jerk to me or whatever. Yeah. No, I've been there. Uh, I, I do video games. Like, if I am, like, stressed or upset, like, I will not be able to pay attention to a movie or a television show. Like, it will be impossible for me. Um, You know what's really good for that? Is uh, drugs and alcohol. Oh, I mean, yeah. Drugs and like, alcohol are great because when you take over. them, it's like, oh – all I care about right now is more alcohol and or drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually you hopefully fall asleep. Except for there are drugs that you can take that make you not want to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are the best. They also make you feel like you're Superman. I don't need anyone. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. So, but movies are good. Movies are good when you're in a...